Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. A little bit of traveling. Uh, still to go. In October uh, the 22nd, uh, Jimmy's going to be, or has been, at the Jacksonville Public Library. Uh, the following weekend, we are going to be at Baltimore Comic Con. That's the weekend of October 28th through the 30th. Uh, still got some days left in Kayfabe-tober. Here are the prompts. Uh, love what you guys have been putting out there. More than 6,000 pieces of art already and only half the month uh, as of this recording has has gone by can't wait to see what else you guys uh are going to put out there keep that full head of steam the entire 31 days your art chops are going to grow in big bad ways uh the videos are brought to you by the books that we make red room the anti-social network red room trigger warnings are my latest efforts uh each of these books completely self-contained murder on the dark web for fun and profit is the name of the game so if you see any of those scoop it up give it a shot you dig it, grab the others. Jimmy has Hulk Grand Design Monster and Madness uh, out in issue format right now uh, while supplies last. But uh, have no fear, in early 2023, uh, these comics are going to grow into bigger, greener versions <laughs> of right. that comic. Uh, when you get Hulk Grand Design, the, the book collection from uh, yeah early, early 2023, put in your pre-orders right now. You can go on uh, your local comics website, comic shop's website go to your comic shop amazon whatever's convenient jimmy also has street angel deadliest girl alive trade paperback uh is back in print collecting all of the image comics street angel comics that uh have been published and without further ado jim one of the greatest comic series one of my favorite comic series in america love and rockets we covered three issues uh there's 50 issues of that first run uh we're going to have to cover all of them. Yes. Uh, there are 20 issues in the second run that are comic book format. We're going to have to cover all of those. I love it. I think there's 8 to 10 of that square bound soft cover with the signs. It's going to be harder to show off, but we'll have to find a way. That's true. I think we got to cover them. And we're up to issue 12 of the new volume of uh, Eleven Rockets. Institution. And as the previous videos show, they hit the ground running. Yes. Issue 1, no comics like it before that. But man, by this point, I feel like they are kind of coming into their own. Absolutely. Um, Completely confident with, like, with their character. They know their characters really, really well. There's a consistency there. Uh, they're at the stage where they're really uh, giving themselves exercises. So, like through their strips, you could see them playing with, with different things. These are special comics. And uh, they are celebrating their 40th anniversary. Like they're, the birth date of Love and Rockets is Eddie P's birth date, man. Wow. So... So, uh, when I, however old I am, like that's when you know this like nickel or dime uh, anniversary, and there's a big box set for the complete series of, of the first run, the first 50. Uh, we'll get our hands on that and show that thing off at a certain point. But there was just a recent documentary made, and I think those documentarians know the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel a touch because they got people with the microscope <laughs> view, and they had they sat high made down with like Owen Fitzgerald, uh, Dennis the Menace comics, and they sat. Gilbert down with Bob Montana, or no, the Bob Bowling, freaking Little Archie comics, and doing all the shit that the Kayfabe boys do. Uh, so that was freaking awesome. This issue in particular, with the 100 Room story, is the issue of Love and Rockets that I might have read the most uh, as a kid. I got these, I got the first four very, very young uh, on the strength of Comic Book Confidential. Um, the documentary from from the 80s and this one has the sequence that Jaime reads 
uh, in the documentary is, you know, in the forthcoming couple of pages here. And this, the comic is just completely magical. But should we start our conversation with, with the letters page a Go little for bit? It. We have Steve Lee Aloha, who's representing uh, San Francisco at this time, uh, sending in a letter um, extolling the virtues of, of Love and Rockets. So happy to see uh, a comic that has, you know, a, a different point of view than your average kind of superhero comics dealing with, you know, Spanish-speaking communities, like like places that he knows and and has experiences with and is just, you know, giving so much props to, to the bros, is saying that, you know, I have to go to France to get comics this good uh, and is just so, so stoked. And also Bob Stewart is a, is a name uh, that you'll know if you're deep into comics from the from the fanzine era. I think he might show up in those Russ Cochran uh, EC reprints, uh, doing some writing and things. Mm-hmm. And he was writing for the journal at, at, at this time. Right. Should we jump right in, Jimmy? Yes. All right, man. Uh, Locas Tambien. This is the Hundred Rooms story. Uh, the way that these first four issues would work is it would it would uh, ping pong back and forth between who's going to do the bigger story. Issue one is Gilbert with Bem. Issue two is the epistolary graphic novella that uh, Jaime does with the dinosaurs and all that. Issue three, Gilbert is introducing us to Palomar with a part one of a, of a big epic story. So this is Hundred Rooms. Masterpieces in each. Fucking unbelievable, man. You know, I was thinking about that, man. And I was trying to explain how this could be even possible. Because I look at these comics and I'm like, I don't know how you make it. But then you and I, well, I'll speak for myself. I never had anybody to speak with about comics since until I met you when I was 21 years old. Imagine like growing up in a household with enthusiastic comic drawers, because there's precedent for that. The Crumb Brothers. Sure. You know what I mean? There's precedent for the battery in the back, iron sharpens iron from a young age. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the past you know, 15 years or whatever, get to have meals with Gilbert and, and Jaime and get to know them a little bit. And I, I remember uh, Jaime saying something like, you know, like frustrated that when people come up to them and is asking about like sibling co- competition, rivalry, fighting, and surprised that he has none, of, they, they didn't do that. And he's like, why does everybody want us to fight? Like we, we never fought as, right. as kids. So it's all, you know, it's all inspiration it's all broing down and putting putting pencil to paper i do think it's um you know part of it is because they stylistically so so unique yeah and especially the the way they tell stories and the stories that they choose to tell very different and that is unusual you know you think of the studios that would have been popping up in the 90s and stuff where everybody's kind of doing the same version of whatever style that studio is putting out and known for and to have two brothers that grow up trading comics with each other and publishing comics in the same book, I don't know, man. It's pretty. It's pretty amazing that they kind of veer off and do their own thing. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing the wrestling stuff with Jaime, we've we've done. Uh, there was that the book of wrestling drawings he did. We did Woe Nelly, uh, which is a three issue piece that he did when he did break off after uh, the first fifty issues of uh, of Love and Rockets. But uh, seeing this moment right here where. We got our grizzled vet stretching some new talent in the ring. Maybe think about, I don't know if we got it on the record with the Jaime shoot interview, but we were talking wrestling and he was talking about his experiences uh, with the La Bella um, organization 
out there in the west coast and he said something like you know we were fans we all knew but when people would from the outside would ask you know is that real is that fake we would just throw our hands up and uh, he 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 did the <laughs> the key in the mouth like like putting the lock on the key in the mouth lock throw the hands up i don't know i don't know yeah yeah it's real that kind of thing smart it's, mark shit yeah yeah definitely and it's it's you can see how wrestling would make sense yeah like it's such a storytelling heavy medium like if if you're into making up stories it'd be pretty easy to get hooked on that it's theatrical i was thinking about it recently and the idea that wrestling could be viewed through the lens of theater oh absolutely you know like it's totally a it's live kabuki. production yeah. so you have either television or theater which i take your pick you know depending on your experience with it but it makes sense to me why somebody who these guys were hungry consuming stories and, oh, yeah. and trying to make their own stories and understand how to make their stories i don't know how you'd resist that that pool of wrestling it looks like at this level uh jaime's still drawing at the dimensions yeah two of, by three yeah of your standard comic book so that's a traditional steve ditko kind of nine panel grid on the love and rockets documentary that came out like through pbs or whatever that was man public broadcasting and and they sit him down and he's taking a look at that owen fitzgerald uh, Dennis the Menace comics. He's pointing out how in each panel there's like a sub, there's an A story that's happening in dialogue, there's a B story that's happening visually, and he really like leaned on that. Mm -hmm. You could have this dialogue thing happen, but but there's acting in every panel, and you see it, you see it in every single one of these panels. There there are no talking heads, even when there is, you know. Like look at that look at that look on uh, Hobie's face. Man. It's great and. So much animation for what is not an action comic. Yes. Uh, you know, you wouldn't quite know it by how well he does body language and movement and stuff. Starting here is uh, you get to see Jaime Reed and do his own acting part, like in a Comic Book Confidential, starting right there. Yeah. I love that she gets thrown out. And a couple panels later, Hopi's like, you could uh, become a wrestler and give the opponents the flying sit down, <laughs> which we clearly <laughs> see is what happened when she asked Grant for money. Right. <laughs> Oh, and what does she need money for? Some black steel-toed bomber boots. Like, I, like I straight up know this verbatim just from watching that documentary a thousand times. It ends about here. Uh, his his reading mm -hmm. of it, and boy, I would love the audiobook version where he just reads all of it. Enter stage left, Penny Century coming through, and there's acting involved here, man. Like, uh, she's coming through, was playing some ball, seeing her girls, and she needs to address the chick. You know, interact with her, puts the glove on the bat it's just that that like that human stuff that Jaime injects that just adds life and it moves at a really good clip you know again we talk about talking head comics and look lots of dialogue but man they're just breezing through this the characters that aren't a part of like the hoppers crew uh Jaime cartoons the fuck out of them like there's there's <laughs> some sense that he just doesn't care about anybody but his a-listers you know what? That's true, but it, it reveals to me more of the influence of things like the Dennis the Menace, the uh, the the Little Archies. You know, like that kind of pure cartooning, I think, is a great backdrop. Where because these characters in the foreground, they are cartooned. Yeah. You know, it's just that they're maybe a little more developed or a little more, I don't know, referencing real people or something. Um, but you see their body language is so exaggerated. You know. And to me, that's that cartoon part. Yeah. And that's the part that makes these panels a nine panel grid that could be very static, but instead it's lively as these characters are leaning back and throwing their arms up and moving, moving really 
really kind of swinging, you know, like stepping into their motion. These dudes each have about 150 pages under the, uh, like a little over 100 pages under their belt. Uh, so with issue four, this is where they're they're able to give themselves uh, so, some parameters with their stories. And this story is told through nine panel grid with a splash panel uh, introducing every new part. And every part is about four or five pages, whatever, six pages. Uh, so he's he's sticking to that rhythm throughout the story, and it does create this breezy reading experience. And so much happens in this comic. You cannot easily describe 100 rooms. It starts off, she needs 50 bucks she for, for some boots, and ends up being at this mansion that you can't, you never visit the same room twice. And the things that happen in there, like the whimsy of it, it almost feels... It almost feels like it's like like jazz or something where it's improvised. Yeah. Um, you know what? Don't turn the page yet. Yeah. Check this out. We see as he's going through and trying to figure out, you know, keep things lively, keep everybody moving. You see something like this a couple of times where characters, small characters are silhouettes. When we go to this next chapter, now suddenly the backgrounds are silhouette. Even though these characters are the same size as that previous Smart. use of silhouette, it really is inventive. It's like never, never uh, being lazy about any of these of these choices yeah and but this is also one of those parts you know that i talk about when it's like i got to drum my characters in the pharmacy and i drive repeal bottle and i'm like i just know jaime would know a fucking better way yes. a more economic way to sell it without having to put a million lines man this is exactly what i'm talking about because this easily communicates giant mansion you see just enough there that makes it feel domestic rather right. than just like a hotel or something the big giant window you you black it all you don't need to see all of that and it feels like it and that's what frustrates me so much and it's hard to articulate to to him specifically like like just when talking to him because i don't want it to sound like i'm saying hackery or like you found the easy way out or something because that is absolutely not it's elegance it definitely is. And just the slight skewing, you know, like oh, even yeah, that part, because this is going to be a little bit of a screwy story. So uh, in case you weren't sure of that your chapter page there kind of answers the question. Playing billiards with like mall mallets. Yeah. <laughs> one is a golf club, one's a mallet, and one's a Q-stick. <laughs> what are we doing? In a Mondrian kind of room. I just imagine poppy colors, all primaries. Uh, yeah, it's wild. Ad adorning that room. The bed is uh, like a, instead of a California king, that's like a Tolkien, Love, uh, Lord of the Rings king. Yeah, bed. Andre the Giant could sleep comfortably in that bed. <laughs> really great use of uh, of blacks, which, you know, he's known for spotting really well. But as, as we see, like, moving through this cavernous house, there's such a sense in what he's not showing, to go back to what you're saying about Alex Toth or figuring out how to do that, complex scene in an elegant way there are a lot of examples of that in these panels the, stretching that shadow that distance that is not a small room no that is a gigantic room and he's selling you on that with an, an icon essentially yeah so he sh there he, three examples of him showing us the expanse without having to show us much of anything Three completely different ways to do it on its two-page spread right here. I marvel at these guys. Everybody, take notes. If you're trying to make comics, this is the book to, to follow. 
Um, speaking of like storytelling, this page is a tour de force of Maggie opens a door into trouble. There's a stranger in that closet. And by the way, that ain't an easy door to open. You could tell just from the body language and you don't see the top of it. Yeah, it's, it's great stuff. She's cracking through a gutter of a panel and it looks heavy. Very large. And we go from a, a face coming out of that shadow to now on top of her. Yeah. It's tense. That's a good sequence. Fantastic lettering to sell it because you get uh, three bolder and bolder um, pieces of verbiage right there. Just the And the fourth exclamation, the biggest of them all. Yeah, after he lets his hand off of her mouth to say, now, now don't don't scream. The yeah. biggest lettering in the book. Cut to uh, Hopi and Izzy Rubens kind of doing their thing. And at this point, when you turn the page, uh, it could be days. Like, you don't, you don't know if they're exaggerating the time. Like, it would be in their character to be hyperbolic and be like, oh, we've been here for weeks and we haven't seen her. Uh, with this kind of a magical of a story, that could also be true, or it could just be exaggeration. It's been like five hours since we since we haven't seen her. The dead guy that they do find in this scene is a great dead guy. That coiled up hand above him in panel two. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's the death face, man. It is the death. It's the death grip, and it carries over into panel five. Like, little details, but again, the body language master. The internal operating The internal operators... At just the, <laughs> right. the mansion like that is another one of those panels where it's all black it's a straight on view of the back of these girls and it's just white circles and you know what that is you know that's one of those pegboards where they're pulling out the little fuses or whatever and popping in the little jacks yes and this is where all of our like under 35 audience is so confused yeah totally <laughs> totally uh, so this is a pretty fascinating bit of storytelling here where he's still dealing with the chair. Like all this stuff happened, you know, moment by moment. Um, selling how tiny she is. This is really funny. Finally gets her to chill out. And from this panel to this panel. That's a time jump. Yeah. Some stuff happened in those gutters and some fucking went down and he has that like bust a load but like guilt feeling where he's like damn i know i was aggressive man but it seemed like you wanted it like he didn't know he was just kind of going with emotion and she's like don't don't trip i did want it and then you get gilbert to, to draw a panel yeah <laughs> so bizarre it's it's amazing boy maggie in the center of that page Great use of a nine-panel grid almost as a frame around that panel. Yeah, you know, another thing that we're seeing and in good here... Good Girl is even the appropriate thing to write on there. You know, it feels yeah. like pinup art. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're still early enough in Love and Rockets comics that we're seeing Jaime use some some interesting lines that that we, we, don't, we don't often see. Yeah, this hatching, like, really, I think, goes away. Yeah, and even this kind of thing, right. uh, this kind of harsh lighting... Uh, doesn't doesn't happen. And here's another example that kind of like harsh middle light. Whenever there's uh, something is being lit directly, it's it's always the most. You have to really change your brain when you're drawing. You have to kind of change your way of thinking because when you have like the little cylinder, like the little ball sphere that you're mm -hmm. lighting, and here's the light source up here, and you have a tendency like oh, okay, darkest shadow back here, and then you fade to the white. But that isn't how it works so if you're using true observation. Like, the part that's getting hit with the light is the lightest. And then it's the darkest. 
and if there's rim lighting or something, then then it fades that way. So uh, Jaime doesn't use this kind of technique very often at all, but it, it does sell you on that smoldering, like that hot sun, and you know Izzy Rubens fully on character, dude. I'm telling you, like Lydia Dietz comes from from Izzy Rubens, man. <laughs> I like this texture for I guess marble. marble. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's money, man. And then he has his grays at his disposal. We see them here with the curtain here. But you have this background figure, you know, this this Jeeves kind of fella. And he he pops thanks to those uh, those gray textures, those gray lines that, that Jaime gives you. Yeah, he's feathering some of those lines and stuff. Like, I feel like that's a thing that goes away pretty, pretty early on. Don't often see Jaime draw some three-point perspective. No, that, High, I was thinking that too. Highly effective. And it's just that great. It's almost cinematic because uh, the window plays importance in this image. You don't know why until you go to the next one and you see that, that you know, it's, it's a Maggie point of view. Yeah, it's a great transition. Classic comic book kind of transitions. And here's another one as they walk through this statue gallery uh, across three panels. HR got some loot. Yeah, he does. Got to be fun showing that stuff off. What a weird concept for a story. Yeah. And and throughout, like, when the girls go exploring, they never see the same room twice. They ne never, ever do. Uh, pretty cool transition here when uh, our dude who was hiding uh, finally kicks her out. He's kind of like... Go be with your friends. They're going to start asking questions. It's going to be weird. But I think it's pretty solid for his character also because he promotes himself as being kind of like a lone wolf kind of character. And in certain ways, like, there's a push-pull. He loves her, but he's used to being on his own also. So we have her exit, and then we have her entrance. And this is another one of those beautiful things because it's you see the economy of Jaime in this. There's one gray... There's white and there's black. And look at how he breaks up all these shapes. It's almost like a master ex exercise of, of spatial relationships or something. Continuing with the acting, you know, you got Maggie hopping up on the table, getting naked. <laughs> and, wow, wow. Uh, Hopi, Hopi, man, she reminds me of me, dude. Like, whenever you get to go to some bougie stuff. Or, like, remember remember when we were at TCAF? And you wanted to go to that raw restaurant? I'm like, yeah, let's do that, man, after the show. And we did, and we got dinner there. And then afterward, I was like, Jimmy, can you come with me so I could go get some hamburgers now? Like, because, like, I ate the dinner there, and I'm like, I'm not even full. I need to get a hamburger. <laughs> so Hopi's just like, I need some PB&J because they're giving me caviar all day or whatever. Yeah. Izzy, too. She's done. She, Izzy's, like, classic psychic vampire. Like, you could give her the greatest situation ever she will find a problem how about that middle panel dude that lighting there there have been a couple of bangers like that you know doorway light coming coming into a dark hallway it's gorgeous another great storytelling piece on this last tier here uh where your butler kind of character just pops in with a smoking shotgun it was like there was an intruder we found him a prowler he went out the window i might have gotten him uh, but I don't think he'll come back as she's looking out and you see her 
you know, she she's she's sad about that. It's another visual throwback to that unusual perspective panel couple that opened this chapter. Yeah. Where we're looking up at the windows, and here we end the chapter looking up at the windows. Another uh, great thing about this particular story is the economy and this passage of time and how much he cuts out that you don't necessarily need, but you don't get confused when it's brought back up. Because when we get to part four, the party's happening. This is a great opportunity for you. I mean, there's a two-headed lady. <laughs> like, Jaime's having a ball doing this page. I didn't even catch that two-headed lady before. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And and uh, Maggie spilled the beans. Like, she, she was running around with some dude in the house. And I uh, feel sad that she didn't tell her homies. But... Uh, but Hopi, she, she's, she's a street chick, you know, she's hardcore. She's like, listen, man, you promised a dude, you have a lot of clout. You have a lot of ethics to me because you said you weren't going to do something and you didn't, and you get props for that. You know, that's, that's that homeboy shit. Throughout this whole thing, those girls are eating. They're eating well, man. Catching looks at, at the people uh, in the party. It's established that you know there's some some uh, female wrestler that's that's there for uh, security, and there's like another female wrestler that's there to watch the the initial f female wrestler because they got a word on the street. Somebody's going after HR Costa Gun. Like, look at these cartooned guys. What is that? Yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's nearly Moss Eisley's Cantina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that in that opening part four splash. Yeah, there's our heel wrestler who's working security, but then there's our face that's uh, that's working security. <laughs> Running joke with Rand Race, always calling Maggie, Maggie Margie. Right. So you got to get that in there. Uh, the relationships that he establishes, how Rand Race is always uh, pining over Penny Century, Penny Century is always kind of a coquette towards him, kind of like holding him at arm's length while, while Maggie is always excited to be around Rand, try to get, make some time with him, but that never prospers into anything. This is a Jamie Hewlett. Absolutely. Leg, if I ever saw one. Oh, my, my goodness, man. The storytelling. So this girl right here, once we get into issue five, you're going to see her and her twin are going to be a part of that. That's amazing. But yeah, absolutely. Jamie Hewlett. Didn't Jamie even Hewlett even call himself like spell his name with an X or some weird or, or, or maybe he did something very Jaime like in his signature. I forget exactly what it was. You know, on the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel, we always call out whenever everybody's standing on that uh, right. horizon line for the perspective. And he's done this a couple of times up to this point in Love and Rockets, where there is a, a mass of characters all overlapping, and through that brilliant use of his black, white, gray, pushes and pulls forms out as he needs. This is another one of these uh, textures that you don't see Jaime do very often and i don't know that he's much of a of a hatcher or like a featherer really like even with that with the pen so like he might have even drawn yes. some of that i don't know that it's a flick 
Yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot of stuff in this black and white, just that splash. Absolutely. That feels like um, things that you would see other people do. I see hints that I would see in Sin City, you know, yeah. almost a decade later. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's remarkable, you know, to think of like, there's a short list of great black and white artists in comics. Sure. And Jaime really picks up the mantle around this time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like, so one of the pieces that I'm looking at a lot is how he's using the gray of this guy's suit to kind of push and pull forms because there's white behind yep. the gray and there's white in front also and even black. Yeah. And you see it because it's unusual to put black in the front, yeah. like on Hopi's pants and shoes, but you'll see another one of those grays in the form of the checkered suit behind her. And, and Kayfabers, have you been making note? We've been in uh, Costigan's mansion the, the entire time, but like you don't need that much background once everything is established. Yes. And our uh, troublemaker has returned yes. to the party. Yeah, dude. And he's coming back. It's like when Lone Star from uh, Spaceballs finds out that he's a <laughs> prince, you know, and he's got the attire on. Uh, so with all of the chatter about the terrorist is in here with what was established in the pages previously and how this guy wanted to get at Costigan, uh, it makes perfect sense that, okay, he's a terrorist. That's what the chatter's all about. And uh, if we know, you know this demoness, heel wrestler must know, dispatches our boy quick. Uh, there goes our Costigan. He's a vestige. He's so funny because like, he, he shows up throughout the issues and it's like, this dude got demon horns, man. Yeah, it's strange. <laughs> it's, it, it's still holding on to the rockets part of the Loving Rockets a little bit with that guy. So it becomes a uh, rope-a-dope as the attention is being drawn by Lone Star from Spaceballs. <laughs> That's our move for our Squeaky From type character to pop out of left field. Put that gun straight to the head. I think about this dude, and I think about Ronald Reagan. Like that—that that was that was made what the same year, maybe. Yeah, that's interesting. I look at that and I see Kirby. Oh yeah, through and through, and even on the chapter breaks, like the part three, part very four, Silver Age, very Silver Age Marvel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the pieces that I liked as a kid so much is when the chick terrorist gets tossed through mm -hmm. the stained glass, and just it's a stick figure with a break, you know, around it and some broken glass it just it's it's a perfect panel and now the heel is just like having fun watching the chaos go down in the midst of it all maggie and lone star casey uh they get one last moment together and this is like this is the stuff, right? This is the heart of Love and Rockets right Absolutely. here. The, the relationship between Maggie and Hopi, where Maggie does not know that Hopi is there. It, it's beautifully laid out. Like, you see, you know, you see Hopi coming up, hiding behind uh, a corner. We see her right there as the conversation is happening. And it's a deep conversation. This guy, like, Maggie and Casey, they've established a relationship. They really like each other. He wants her to make a big move because he's that lone wolf kind of transient fella. Come with me. It's a very romantic notion. Come with me. We could be whatever we want. And uh, at the time, she's like, listen, maybe in five years, but right now, there's no one I want to be with more than my friend Hopi. And Hopi hears it. 
Uh, but what's interesting is that look on her face, it's kind of like a dead look because how do you feel about, you can't feel the greatest sense of security knowing that right now Maggie <laughs> wants to be with you, but things could be different in five years. It is an unusual expression on Hopi's face there. Yes. No doubt about it. So they. But there's weird stuff with her in this story too. Like at one point she's leading Maggie to race. Right. Uh, you know, with the idea that she likes him. So it feels like Hopi's kind of maybe experiencing a version of these feelings too. Sure. Sure. And probably not something she's happy to uh, accept. Yeah, the interesting thing uh, with this being the comic that was being sort of out at the time when, when Jaime was on Comic Book Confidential, uh, he talks about Hopi, Maggie, friends, but possible lovers. Like, it wasn't so spelled out at that moment. You know, he's leaving some ambiguity there. Uh, you know, our Betty and Veronica are back together, and they split. Look at that, dude. It's like bathroom signage. Yes icons and daffy the person that uh maggie feared would be getting the boots got the boots got the boots <laughs> and two dollars off the price <laughs> salt in the wounds man fantastic comic i've read this comic so many times i think in book collections gary groth said there's about seven other pages in mm. in book collections to pat to to massage this story and i'm so curious yeah i'm gonna have to go track one of those down because yeah. i think i have this story in three or four forms right right right. but you see uh nine panel grids big splash page uh allow some room for a big one every now and then w when it counts that's the exercise he, he, he gave for himself twitch city is uh, a gilbert effort in beto color uh and he's given himself some parameters we're, we're getting all landscape panels widescreen widescreen and look at his use of texture very different style than we're going to see from him even in the next story in the book putting a brush to use doing some heavy inking you know we saw his work in like er errata stigmata i think showed up in issue three mm -hmm. uh where he was using uh, this this similar kind of style and uh we're dealing with like i think like a 17 year old a 16 year old a policewoman of uh, twitch city sees these dudes with the dicks see that that's 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 beto humor man uh <laughs> roughing up some guy our girl it's it's i actually had to read the story a couple of times to be honest with you to to like completely get it roughs up the baddies you know like i think that i think the trouble for me was like the gloves like i could see her maybe having the gloves aren't established so you didn't exactly know who who is belongs yes. to them but she saves, saves this dude that was getting roughed up. And now he's on her balls. And she's, it's like she's got to figure out how to fucking get rid of this fella. Eternally grateful. Yeah. <laughs> you see like a Klaus Nomi Bauhaus kind of aesthetic. It's very strange. It makes me think about like what he's what this is in response to. Like feels kind of heavy metalish, Although graphically it's its own thing. Yeah. But a weird science fiction story yeah man so we saw our girl you know she roughed up those heavies uh look at the spotlight that he's given his girl and you see the two bad guys with wounded faces already uh these are the same guys that she dispatched early on one two good night just kind of blood almost as black as a panel can be but when you see those edges you see the splat and you know it ain't a good thing and she gets concussed, man. She's dreaming about Frida Kahlo and shit. Yes. And uh, as she wakes up, we see 
what what happens to she, uh, I guess she, law enforcement in this? She, yeah, she got jacked up, and she's seeing the eclipse of that guy. You know, one, uh, one good turn. You know, like one hand washes the other. The dude that was being victimized by those dudes is picking her up, takes her to the police station, and the people at the police station are like, "Listen, don't get blood on the rugs, man. The chief will be mad about that." <laughs> Splits as this dude is still following her. Follows her home, 16 years old. Mom is on the couch with some drunk dude or whatever. Stepdad uh, gets some cottage cheese. Takes the takes the weirdo dude up to her room, and just uh, what is this like? He's he's he gets to fuck her because she he helped her. Yeah, unclear, unclear there. Yeah, it doesn't seem like she likes it. Yeah, I don't know about this story or or how it fits like in a bigger. It, you know, if there are a series of these stories that kind of cement this world the, a little bit more, or if it's something that the Beto cool, goes away from. The cool thing about this, the 64-page um, format of the first four issues is, like I said earlier, one brother was tasked with, like, the big story, like, the A story of the issue, and then uh, the other brother could kind of, like, pump the brakes a little bit, have some space to be a little bit more experimental, you know, like, they're not the one doing the heaviest lifting of that issue. I hesitate to say much more, like, because we have part two of Palomar in here, and it's very, very deep, very rich, yeah, right. but they have flyer stories, like, where, where like, they're, they're going to try some shit, and it might work, it might not work, but that's the beauty of it to me. Yeah, it's also the advantage of, of um, looking at this stuff years after the fact, yeah. and seeing kind of, like, what sticks. Sure. You know, very, very, um, I was going to say restless, I don't know if that's even the right word. But it's young cartoonists that are really doing things that haven't been done before. So some are, some do connect more than others. Maybe with the cartoonists themselves as well. And uh, the other cool part too, man, just for genre fans, like like there still is some rockets in these issues of Love and Rockets. It's only issue number four that does not get phased out. I don't think it ever really gets phased out. But depending on the issue, it's more love, more rockets. And music for monsters is very steeped into the Rockets part of our comic. Uh, the other thing that's funny, too, is is uh, how, like, they know there's some writing being done about the bros at this point, and, and articles are coming out there and really giving them props for what they're bringing to the game. And uh, this issue feels like they're aware of, of that kind of shit. So, like, there's flat-out dialogue i mean mm -hmm. do all comic gals have to be raped and have their husbands killed or carry bowling balls on their chest to get anywhere like that would be the stuff that would be in those articles like you know all oh, comics don't have to be this or that so they're be like very very aware of how their work is being perceived and gilbert is actually like leaning into that yes yeah and it's funny that that dialogue would make sense 20 years later sure you know i feel like it's uh, not gone away not 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 evolved much yeah I like this part too. I, the first panel. I've read all my comics nine times each. She's uh, stranded on this giant egg that uh, she's watching. At this time, when I first got this issue, uh, that could that that could be me. Like I would read all my comics yes. on the weekends after me after too. school. I would look forward to it. I can't wait till Friday so I could spend the weekend reading my stack two stacks of comics all over again. Even on that desert island, the girls fight because one of the comics that that uh, Blondie has belongs to the other chick. The comic falls into the ocean, 
so gotta go down and get it but also put some depth charges down there and destroy your your bem of the of the issue yeah i feel like this is uh very much in that ec tradition of lettering sure that sound effect very and, much ben oda yeah, no, no accident and i love this monster regular normal version of the monster exploded version where you see it being <laughs> expressed in the uh in the in the drawing Introducing everybody to Rocky and Fumble, Outer Space. What an image, huh? This is a pretty cool, I think, all around visually. Like seeing Jaime do Outer Space is really fun. And, you know, like reverse silhouettes, you know, it ends up, uh, they claim, um, Rocky and, and Fumble claim this asteroid as uh, her planet. Yes. And uh, she's going to be the queen on this planet. But meanwhile, somebody else has the same idea. And yeah. so you get it in this panel as like both sides of this planet being claimed by uh, the respective characters. And of course that can't work. Seeing these proportions and stuff, like it feels like Mignola would see that and start to push some of his proportions and things. Cause he wasn't drawn like this before, uh, like at this time, mm -hmm. you know, he's pretty traditional. And uh, like I may tell stories that more than once, Mike Mignola would come up to them and be like, I always wanted to meet you guys. And like, he'd be like, well, we met three times. Well, you know, I mean, it goes back to that idea of like who the great black and white artists are. Yeah. You know, Mike, Mike Mignola is going to pick up that mantle a decade after this book. But Jaime's a guy right now. The beautiful, the whimsy of the cartooning, man, like, you know, their flag yes. is one thing and his flag is some boxer shorts. Like, that is just beautiful. That is funny. It is. And it's visual. Uh, even the simple character of Fumble with the kind of pill body is drawn expertly with perfect lines, you know, like the little highlight lines. We talk about that in color, like the little white on the ridge to kind of sell the 3D. Like I'm telling you, dude, in uh, the Tales of Asgard, it's, it's a Ron Friends issue of Thor that has an orange background. It has... It has Doctor Doom holding an hourglass, and it's Hercules, and Thor is inside the hourglass. That was a comic I had at this time. And, and Mignola does the Tales from Asgard back up in there, and it's a thing I talked about on the shoot interview, where I'm like, dude, that was your proto-Hellboy, because it got the broken off horns and shit. It's this, it's like this dude. Yeah, it's very close. Man, look at the great silhouette of that panel. Yeah, dude. Like, it's amazing. As, as this big uh, bad guy is trying to stake his claim he's being very destructive uh as he's trying to catch catch our girl but she's just too quick for him and hits hits rocky in the process yeah yeah or, or hits fumble i should say um reading this i felt bad yeah totally like, oh man her little pal is disintegrated <laughs> i was so happy when it turns out that that he's okay yeah it's it's cartoons i felt real relief but after all that the shrug see there's like a it's like a um metaphor comic strip or something because like here's your planet now fella enjoy and our girl don't have anything either no you see the rocket ship kind of busted into a, a piece of the asteroid there so good dude and this is like this is Jaime's idea of like well I gotta do four more pages you know what I mean yes it's ridiculous that's showing off it is <laughs> It definitely is. All right, man. Part two of uh, Welcome to Palomar. Uh, very often in future stuff, 
Okay, yeah, Gilbert Gilbert does it from here also. First couple of pages catching you up to speed with with the characters. Uh, you see all this wording, and it makes you nervous to see it because we know what that is in in an X Men comic or something. Pleasure to read. So beautiful. This is not showing and telling, and it's giving you a really cool aspects to the characters. And what this Palomar story feels like to me, there's not like a specific plot point. You can't describe it easy. He created this town. He created 15 characters. He put them in there. And it's like he's playing God just watching an ant farm. They're all, they all have their own interests, their own goals, their own obstacles. And he's letting them all interact. And you're watching it on the page. It is a pleasure to read, man. It is. And it is a staggering amount of voices and motivations yes. to keep clear because we even have multiple generations so you have kids that are on very different wavelengths than like uh let's say the the adults yeah and even the adults have their flaws oh everybody has flaws very important to establish uh our little bit of magical realism that takes place where one character is able to see the ghost of uh like a former friend mm -hmm. you know like somebody who from the town uh who just sits there and waves uh, we see that two panels after we established the death of Toko, who was the most visually fun uh, character of that first story, running around coughing and being a little hooligan. He has some kind of cystic fibrosis or something. He, he's toast. He's done. So we're not going to see him anymore until we see him again. But uh, what Gilbert will do with his bigger stories that continue over issues, and it's really effective when it's collected in trade paperbacks, is this is part two. So it's page one of part two after you get the exposition but it's tw page 23 mm -hmm. of the, the, the bigger story that's being told. This is the OG uh, Bandora bathhouse lady who's responsible for hooking all the dudes up, making sure all the dudes in town are clean. And uh, the badass. Yeah, muscular, tough. Yeah, super strong. And, and not in a sense of superhero, but she's a tough, tough character. We saw, uh, I think, in the first uh, 100 Room story, the operator ladies were reading, like, uh, Little Peanuts or something, paperback. Yeah, what is it? Oh, yeah, uh, a Mad paperback. In this one, Pep Comics, shouts to Harry Lucy. <laughs> Our boy Manuel, he's, he's the, he's the um, Lothario of uh, Palomar, man. Gets a lot of chicks. And I think he banged Luba the first the first round. Uh, he's messing around with this 14-year-old. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I was thinking that he had another go-round with Luba this this issue, but I'm not sure they actually uh, have any romantic entanglement. He's got time. he's got the soup, soup, super sperm, and that's it's Chekhov, Chekhov's jizz, Jim. Yeah. Chekhov's you jizz. Go. You establish it in the beginning, pay it off a little bit later. Whenever these guys get real romantic, man, and they get they get spun around. Yeah, Pipo is uh, smitten. Yeah, and uh, Manuel is not uh, maybe not reciprocating those feelings. He digs it, but then he's he's ravenous. You know, he says something like, "I just I want to bang every girl in the world." He says. Got the little siblings. This is a great little sequence, man, where she's clearly pining. And the little brother 
doesn't know like he has he's all thumbs as dudes are you don't grow out of this right <laughs> you know and then like the even littler sister knows that he did wrong socially and it's all captured kind of visually it's very it's very nice but both to the point where people goes running off and the little sis lets him know that he did wrong i love these characters in that you know like these are people has a life like she's not just eye candy or supporting character like sure. she has her own agency dealing with these kids kind of running this household i don't know man there's a real sense of like reality it's this is a, the way gilbert works the way he makes his comics i sit there i look at this stuff and the thing that always comes to mind is like how do you do something like this how is it possible to make this because it's an effortless read like it's such a pleasure to just fall into this world it's effortless to fall into this world and i i never want to leave man like i'm and then i start getting like questions in mind like well what are the fellows up to right at this moment you know because everybody's living in the exact times time space mm -hmm. so now you have to juggle that kind of shit because the transitions will be that way uh page to page where you have this stuff going on and you know you enter your next round of characters you know in in a transition like that because that's what it, it flows in a way that i don't understand how you can do that on a consistent basis yeah, and we've we've seen interviews where Alan Moore sings the praises of Love and Rockets, oh, yeah. and it feels like, in a weird way, how Watchmen is so tightly plotted, where like every character has the moment, like what are they doing at this moment whenever something's happening? Right. I feel that way about the characters in Palomar. Like if if I were trying to reverse engineer how you do this, you've got a big board, yeah, with all these characters and like where they are, who they're interacting with, what they're after. And the part that's even more fucked up is you see the boys young. But then you're going to see these dudes grown up on like the right. next story. And then there might be another young story. And they just, so, so now he's, they all exist in the same time space, but then he's going to do the future version of them, you know, next, next go around. Yeah. And they all change, uh, you know, the dynamics are all kind of different. This is Luba's effect on the town. <laughs> right there. By the way, uh, what we were learning with those kids is that, one of them told uh, sold that who likes Peepo that Peepo's involved with Manuel. Yeah. That's a lot of uh, lay, laying the groundwork for how this story's going to unfold. There's the, uh, the, the, the town sheriff, you know, he's, he's, he's uh, at the whim of our OG bathhouse chick. And that'll provide his bat the battery in his back to go tell tell Luba what's up. That's right. The one boy is like, nothing. I I never see anything cool. Like you get to see the ghost. I don't get to see anything cool. I just got to saw a two-headed turtle once, and then the other dude uh, uh, lets him know that that's a pretty cool thing, and he's like, you know what? That is pretty cool. I, I miss seeing him. <laughs> Perfect kid dialogue. Yes. You know, like, is that a function of, of Gilbert growing up in a house, like a house full of siblings and stuff? And, and you just got an ear for that. This is definitely the issue where I realize, like, you will never make comics like this. You do not have the experience that the bros have. So you better just figure out how to make your own kind of comic because it's impossible to even approximate this if you don't have a lot of tools that that these dudes just have, you know, 
through life, through experience, whatever. It is mind-boggling. What is going on in this story is just... I can't even picture it for like 1982, 1983, whenever this is published, like reading this compared to what would have been out. Yeah, and 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 it's it's there's no Reader's Digest way to describe this because it it would be like trying to describe that movie Tampopo where it's like yeah the lady just wants to have the greatest noodle shop and that sounds boring. Right. I feel like you could run the risk of trying to explain what this is and it it's just like well what what do I care? But you you just you have to give it a shot. You have to see for yourself. I think I mentioned it pre uh, previously, man, but um, Manuel's like choice of attire, like you could tell about the passage of time by the shirts, because he always yeah. wears patterns, and like that pattern is different than this pattern, so like that that lets you know that you know it's a different day. Yeah, you see a few a few days go on that page. Um, the artwork too, I feel like Beto gets short shrift when it comes to artwork, and I, I probably say this every time we look at one of these early issues, but you know I see hints of things like Ditko and, and various artists in here, I think his art's amazing. Um, he's able to call up like very classic cartoon tropes as part of that language. Yeah. And there are panels that remind me of like Mazzucchelli, uh, especially like some of the rubber blanket stuff. And I got to imagine this is an influence on Mazzucchelli as he veers away from that Marvel DC style into more alternative style for lack of a better descriptor. Yeah. But it's like you see those moments and he's another great black and white artist. Like oh, we absolutely. see many of these silhouettes and it's like the character designs are all distinct like any of these characters you could identify just in silhouette yeah uh, running the risk of saying the same stuff in previous episodes which we it's just going to happen you know we got the love and rockets playlist up now once this goes live and we might say the same stuff but i think of like jaime jaime is like when you read that outliers book and you read about the part where all the um all-star hockey players have january birthdays because they were the runt on the right. team and they had to like stack up like Jaime's the runt of of Gilbert and Mario, so like in order to be part of the conversation, like he's he's got to work his little ass off, you know. Now, like look at this for a panel of just great visuals, the the language, the lettering, like they're using every tool that comes with cartooning. Yeah, absolutely, man. And what's happening is that that sheriff, he's confronting Luba. You know, I don't know that we need to banana massagers or whatever those chicks do yeah. like like is it just implied like or is it not even implied do dudes really you can't bathe yourself <laughs> yeah I, I i'm not sure how what the mechanics of the bathing <laughs> is um but you know what man speaking of, of some cool stuff she whips his ass like that is a that is a uh pretty violent sequence on that page and you see him walking away with his face bleeding and bruised you gotta take it but yes the sheriff comes then to get luba with his uh his directions from cello yes <laughs> gotta get rid of this this other the competition and he's like fuck it man bribes her with the beer like they're gonna be friendly or whatever and then he's like public uh public drinking yeah <laughs> and guess what they're both in jail dude it's like uh this is a plan for sure dude it's a it's a uh, squash match it's a super card. Dude, they've set it up like there's a grudge match in the cage. Yeah, totally, man. Everybody kind of settling in for, for... Everybody has their arc, too. That's the thing, right? So, like, we're... Everybody's kind of coming to peace with how their arc is, is, is playing out. Uh, the boys in the town, when they realize, like, that both banana massage ladies are in that cell together, mm -hmm. they're like, Yo, when they fight, they might be ripping each other's clothes off. 
you know, these would be like, those are the little dudes that are looking for like dumpster porn and woods porn, you know, like, oh man, a free titty. Let's go check it. Yeah. A hundred percent. And again, with the cartoon language of them, like all stacked up heads peeking around the corner. Yeah, for sure, man. So great. And, uh, as, as one could have predicted, our girls are not fighting. And in fact, they're bonding. Yeah. They're making their own plans. So that's how that piece wraps up, man. But Manuel's still out in the world and he was banging some people that other people wanted to bang. So he's literally going to get banged with a gun in the stomach. And that's the uproar of the town, right? It's a sleepy town. Everybody knows everybody. And you can see people could just walk into jail to like look at people in cells. So it, they can't take that shit too seriously. Everybody needs everyone's help in order to build these adobes or whatever. It's one of the great parts about the setting yeah. that he's created. You know, under 400 people live in there. That means they do all know each other and they all, man, it's gossip heavy. Sure. Even with the kids. And it's funny because the stuff the kids are saying isn't quite accurate. It's different players. Right. You know? Like, it really is that game of telephone where what they're repeating just is not accurate to what we're going to see in the scene. Yeah. That's pretty good storytelling, too. It's a form of unreliable narrator. You yeah. know what it is? It's eyewitnesses. It is, You know, yeah. you always hear about how unreliable eyewitnesses are. Yep. And just, you know, it's telephone, too. Like, the kid is the kids are always going to be second, third-hand sources. Absolutely. So, because, uh, because Manuel bangs Soledad, he catches some lead to the Tom piece. Peepo. I, I think it's Soledad that's coming after him because uh, Soledad... Oh, yeah, Peepo. that's right. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Manuel... He's done. Does he die? I wasn't clear on that. Oh, yeah, because, like, uh, w w the very last panel will we'll let you know. Okay. Little Carmen, who's the badass of the whole crew. <laughs> she's a funny character because she's, she's a piece of magical realism. She is, definitely. And they talk about just finding her and, like, that personality. <laughs> and, and, and she always stayed the same size for, like, five years, so she's, like, perpetually ten. Yeah, like a little devil child. <laughs> We also see uh You know, you know what? I think this this is the shit I I might be wrong, but when uh Gilbert's shit got banned from a, some Midwestern library, get out. It was it was this shit because it was like they called it child porn. Ugh. And it was it was these panels that uh you know some house frau fucking wow. bored ass mom in the, in Vegas or whatever had an uproar but you do see um the ram the legacy of manuel in lula and, and people there yes you do uh, laying the seeds for the future you also see the uh the results of that time spent in lockup between luba and cello uh cello taken on that mantle of you know i mean that's how i think of her as the sheriff of palomar yeah. so uh kind of fun to see her ascendancy in this story absolutely and uh uh Oh, I see. You see, the, you see yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, right. Our dude, I don't know how to say the name. Gilbert is so so conscious about giving you the pronunciations, but I'm no good at that. Uh, the guy who could see the ghost, he see, can see Toko is now a ghost, mm -hmm. and there is Manuel right. as a ghost. These, these are the blue Jedi ghosts of Palomar, and only he could see it. So the one dude is like, uh, are, are all three of them there? Yep, all three of them are there today. Uh, it ends as it as it should you know like in the first part you establish the ghost that's a one odd piece of the entire town you close out with two more bodies man it there, that solidifies like an entire arc an expanse of time has uh transpired 
in 42 pages, 220 page bursts, full of life, full of heart, full Incredible of craft. comics. Look at the marks right here. These are like markers or brush strokes just being drugged down the page. Yeah. I love that kind of inventiveness, but you're totally right about the, the full of life kind of thing. Like it feels like observation. Like it's, uh, it's impossible to sit here and think like this is some sort of autobiography, but also that would at least explain some of this <laughs> no. stuff, like draw from something. How do you just make this up whole cloth? And, and the thing is Gilbert, he didn't trade any of his personal stats to like do this. Like, like he's, he's still, he's a father, he's a normal dude. You could talk to him, but like the level of imagination in here is nearly Henry Darger level of like, Vivian girls like having like this expansive universe that's really like thought out it's just like whatever his life experience comes from he's able to like be a normal person but also have such a vivid imagination enough to create you know 20 completely singular characters that you never get confused by and have them interact and always keep up with the relationships you know like uh comic tropes Chris Pierce he, he interviews Larry Hama about G.I. Joe and Larry Hama is just like Oh, I made it up every month. And and like if I brought somebody back that I accidentally killed, I just said, Oh, he was a spy, he was undercover. You know, it's completely dashed out. You know, it's hackery really. Like you gotta get a story done every month. These dudes, they're playing a different game. What level of confidence for this being like issue three and four pulling this story out? Unbelievable. And, and if you're Gary Groth and you were like, Oh, I saw the first issue and had to publish these dudes, what are you thinking at the end of issue four here, like Better than whatever you expected. It's got to be the most gratifying part of being a publisher. You know, just just uh, running the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel with you, Jimmy. Uh, we have the P.O. box out there, and we get hundreds of pieces of mail every single week. And sometimes exceptional stuff. There's a lot, so much good comes through. But sometimes there's exceptionally good stuff. And that rings out, you know? Yeah. Like, And as a publisher, when you have your submission guidelines open, it's probably they're getting the same stuff that we get. But then when you get that one piece that's just magic, like that's the, that, that's the stuff, you know, that's what makes it all worthwhile. Man, magic is the word for it. What an issue. Like at this point, it's just undeniable. Like these are, we, we've got two new masters have showed up at the comic book store in Love and Rockets. And I mean this, by the end of issue four, it's just solidified. These comics inspire me so much. Uh, it's been a while since we did issue three. Jimmy, I want to do issue five ASAP. Yeah. You good to go? I am. Kayfabers, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. Jimmy, tell the people what's out there, man. Hulk Grand Design, Monster Madness. The issues are in comic book shops now as we speak. And the tr oversized Treasury Edition will be out in early 2023. So pre-order that wherever you get your books or comics. Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive is back in print after a long time off the shelves from Image Comics. Again, available wherever comics are bought and sold. And you can join me on patreon.com slash jimrug to see lots more of my comics and art. Red Room Trigger Warnings. Red Room, the anti-social networker out there, understands as we speak. Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit is the name of the game. Each of these books completely self-contained, contain four issues worth of comics apiece, uh, with 70 pages or so of additional materials in each to make these uh, very unique items to get. But once again, they are standalone, so no matter which one, take your pick, give it a shot, and uh, hit up my Patreon. Uh, for three bucks, you get all of this material, plus the new stuff that I'm serializing. Uh, three bucks, every Tuesday, new strips. Uh, you can get there uh, by way of my link tree in the description below this video. Jimmy, what else do we have out there, man? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. It's another great way to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Given those marching orders, Jim will be on our way. Read more comics.